And welcome everyone. Uh, as usual, we'll be following you on Restream and the Rumble Rants. And we are out there on Twitter Spaces where if you raise your hand, you're green to come up, ask question. Whoops, uh, <laughs> ask questions. Um, uh, and also be streaming out on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, re wherever we are, uh, Rumble, where else are we? Um, all the platforms you'll you'll Twitch. be appearing there. Yep. Twitter. So today, let me get to where we're going today. Facebook. We love Facebook. That's right. Brian Dunkelman today is our guest. Uh, his new series or his new show is called Dunkelman, just debuted on Amazon Prime. He's an actor, comedian, and you know him from uh, one of the first celebrities to experience uh, cancel culture after he departed from co-hosting the first season on American Idol. So Brian will be here to talk about that. We've got a lot of other stuff to get into as well in terms of uh, surviving in this business, in that business, and uh, what it all means and how he's doing now. So uh, in the meantime, we will also take your call. So be sure to raise your hand. We'll bring you on up and I'll watch you on Restream and Rumble and we'll get started right now. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247. Pet Club 247. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We appreciate you being here. Uh, Susan, you all right today? Everybody good? Doing great. Doing great. 
Uh, we're looking over at the Rumble Rants where our friend Jahep has joined us again. Jahan, as we call him. Uh, and for something is going on with my restream. For some reason, something is uh, not right there. Uh, yeah. So that's right. There we go. Now it's working. Uh, some greetings for the Tromos there. That's what uh, <laughs> your mom said. So what do we have to report on? Is there anything, any interesting stories we should share with everybody before we get started? It's been an interesting couple of days. Yeah, we had a really good time with Gutfeld and mm -hmm. Kat Temp mm -hmm. and, um, and Tyrus. We saw Tyrus, and uh, the show was a success, apparently. I think it was good, yeah. Um, it's good to be in studio. I mean, to be actually in a live studio instead of doing it, you know, not being able to go and visit. Like, that was the first time I had right. been back so, there for, like, two years. Right. So it, be, uh, because of COVID, they wouldn't let anyone in the building that and was there for a reason. And they let me sit in the audience, and you could see my foot over your head. Right. To the, <laughs> the left of my head. If you ever saw my head, there was this shoe poking into my Thank ear. Thank God I wore cute shoes. Yeah, you can, yeah. I didn't well. know. So there you well, go. Well, I was crossing my legs, and my legs are long, and it just kind of was sticking out of the side, and it was right over your shoulder. And it looked like it was sticking out of my head. <laughs> Which is great. So, any event, uh, it's nice here. We're going to be So, here I made days. it onto the Gutfeld show at last. Your right? foot did. Anyways. Yeah, I made so, a cameo. Good for you. Uh, yeah, so if anyone asks any questions about that, happy to answer it uh, or any other issues. And it is up. the number one show on in late night, and they're very proud of it. Their numbers are good, and Gutfeld works tirelessly to yeah. bring the numbers up over there. That's so, true. even though it's Fox, I know people. some people are just anti Fox News, but it is a fun show it's a good yeah show. that's why i specifically do that show it's a good show it's a fun show i've known greg for a long time i used to do uh, the red eye show back in the day which was sort of this cult show that now it's it's still sort of claimed by its cult audience from back in the day i really didn't even think of it as fox news and i the way much the way i think i don't think about gutfeld is that and and i actually i think the the, um, the gutfeld show has now that it's gone five nights a week it's a little less harsh and a little more Nuance and a little funnier. Yeah, they're just yeah. making fun of people. Yeah, they're just making fun. Now, think about how many shows you've been on, Drew. Like, every late night show you've been on. Yeah. You've been on yeah. pretty much all of them. Yeah. Except for The Tonight Show. I don't no, know. it was on Tonight Show. You did? You made mm -hmm. it on there? I did it a couple different ways. You're I did on it, Kimmel. I did The Tonight Show when... Um, my head. Name finding is so frustrating. Conan O'Brien was doing The yeah. Tonight Show. Yeah, you've been on Conan, you've been that. on... No, the, but when he did The Tonight Show, I did The Tonight Show. Then you show. were on the other guy's show that... The other uh, Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, mm -hmm. you were on. I think about how many late night shows and daytime shows and mm -hmm. channels and networks you've been like. You've gone on every channel. You've been mm -hmm. on every. I, you need a, a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. No. <laughs> I don't know. It's just when if I, I wasn't so cheap, I'd get you one. Uh, well, stay stay cheap, please. They <laughs> much more much prefer that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so what, but thank you for being there. Thank you for supporting me, and I'm glad that you could come out with those guys and see how fun. Yeah, they were. it was really fun. Oh, uh, Sarah Ruth, could you tell us about this new Novavax vaccine for COVID? It is an excellent vaccine. It is a more traditional platform. It's a attenuated virus, like a it's like a it's like a uh, flu vaccine. It's really that's similar to that kind of technology. Uh, I will take that vaccine if they will allow it for boosters. Uh, that will not have. I don't suspect it's going to have great activity against Omicron. And it does have some uh, myocardial inflammation associated with it, but my bet is that it's not going to be quite as bad as the mRNA vaccines. So I, I think it's going to be a pretty safe bet. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it was approved last night, and I, they haven't given specific guidelines. I did, uh, I think I, did I point this out yesterday? Maybe I was talking to Adam about this. 
that Dr. Fauci did an interview on MSNBC. I think I did talk about this yesterday. And uh, he was himself. He was the same guy that I've admired for three decades. And uh, he's being much more circumspect about everything, including you know whether you wear masks or choose to wear masks and how you think about vaccination. I still don't fully understand why they are pushing so hard uh, on the vaccinations of the very young children. I, I don't get that yet. The science isn't there. As I've said repeatedly on the show, please follow Vinay Prasad if you want up-to-date information. He's a brilliant oncologist. We've interviewed him here a few times. And he really gives good, solid opinions. Sarah then wants to know, can we take Novavax if we've had the Moderna vaccine? I don't know yet. My expectation is yes, but I don't know yet. And really the question we'll be asking ourselves is really, should we take Novavax booster? Should we take Moderna booster? Or should we be waiting for the Omicron booster coming out in the fall? And generally, if you're over 75 uh, years of age, you should get boosted up as soon as the boosters become available. We do know pretty clearly, the science is pretty clear there that the benefits are significant. Under that age, we immediately start to fall off a cliff in terms of following science. There's very little science. And as you get to children, there's almost no science in terms of there's not enough adverse outcomes in kids to be able to create a mini- meaningful cohort in a study group. There, there aren't enough severe illness, even, even significant illness. So it's, it's hard to show an effect of the vaccine. So I don't quite know why. Uh, it just seems like they, they just are very, um, very much bought into the idea that uh, without exception, there's reduced risk from, from the disease when you've had the vaccine. Now, that reduced risk is dramatically changed by BA5. It's it reduced it, the effectiveness of the vaccine against Omicron was circumspect. And now against BA5, it's almost non-existent. It seems to be pretty bad. But we do think, we do think that it is reducing more serious illness. But I can't say that that's categorically true. We just don't know. All right, let's go to my guest, Brian Dunkelman. Let's get him in here and talk about his new series. Enough Brian. COVID. Enough COVID. Yes, let's get to Brian. <laughs> we're Uh-oh, done with the COVID. <laughs> well, I, can't, I know, you're down with it, but I can't see you. Your picture hasn't come in here yet. Come on now. I see you. Caleb, am I missing something? Do you hear me? You, I hear you. The, there you are. There you are. All right. Good to see you. So tell me you. about the Thanks series. So is, is, it a, is it a, it's such a pleasure. Is, is it a multi-episode thing on, on Amazon Prime or is it just like a, a, a just a documentary? No, what, just what is it? Don't really know what to call it because it's not really a documentary. It's not really a special. Uh, basically what it is, is it's kind of a one-man show with no audience just delivered straight into camera. And uh, I shot cool. it during the lockdown uh, portion of the uh, the pandemic. So let's call it a uh-huh. dunkumentary, I guess. <laughs> I love it. And what are, what are we going to learn? Oh, you're going to know uh, more about me than you ever cared to. It's basically from my childhood, uh, what led up to getting American Idol. Obviously, a lot of it's focused on my experience with American Idol. And uh, mm. then everything that happened afterwards, which, uh, you know, I affectionately look back on the post-American Idol days as the good old days compared to what was become to, to, to come in the later years. But uh Drug addiction, alcoholism, divorce, kidnapping. Where do you want to start? Wow. I, I, the kidnapping is the only thing that's not on the usual <laughs> menu in my world. <laughs> what, what's with the kidnapping? Well, I have a, a nine-year-old son who is uh, fantastic. Um, but uh, 
his mother started a pretty severe battle with alcoholism when he was just a, a baby, about 10 months uh -huh. old. And um, yeah. a couple stays in rehab at the same facility that you used to do celebrity rehab. So I'm very familiar with oh, that wow. place. The, and um, hill, yeah. things just did not get things did not get better. And I, I made the move of just taking him one day and I went back home to Western New York uh, so that she could try and get help again. And um, I got mm. to keep him there for about six months. And then uh, the, the, the good news is everything is wonderful right now. My, my ex-wife has been sober cool. for two years and we're, everybody's thriving right now, but it was a rough journey. Oh, Great. Okay. It's good news. It, it takes what it takes. And it, it's, it's usually not a straight line. Uh, people no, get a little a lot, frustrated. A lot of zigzags. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of zigzags. I, they, one of the dirty little secrets of addiction treatment is... Um, with severe alcoholism, yeah, I believe it's four years and five treatments, before, or it's either five years and four treatments or four years and five treatments before you are likely to get one year of sobriety. Yeah, they said that about five years is the magic number, then you know you have a fighting yeah. chance. Yeah. So. Well, no, that's five there, years. That's you know? that's sustained. That's sustained sobriety for five years. Yeah. If you after yes. five years, your your risk of Severe disease is about the same as the general population. You're really, you're really in pretty good shape at that point. But in terms of people think they can just go to treatment, everything's going to be great. But no, it, it typically takes multiple treatments and quite a bit of time before people get that first year under their belt. Yeah, there was a period of time where things were so bad that when, uh, when she went to rehab and all I had to do was take care of an almost two-year-old all alone for 28 days, it was such a sense of mm -hmm. relief. Oh, that's all I have to do now. So, uh, yeah, right. it's it's a heck of a journey. My heart goes out to anybody who has to deal with it. But mm. you know, so far, so good. Were you guys still married at that point, or did was the divorce something that happened subsequently? Yes, yes, we were. Uh, we started dating around about six months before I got American Idol, which was uh, so we started dating in about two thousand one. We're together for several years. Got married in two thousand seven. And everything was fine. You know, we were both, we're both drinkers. You know, I come from a place where mm. that's what people do. And, uh, you know, happy hours. Are we going to go to a movie? We got to get a drink first. Mimosas at breakfast, you know. Um, but it took a turn. We, uh, we had a pregnancy that we lost at about 10 weeks, mm. um, which was pretty traumatic because we, we went in for the first ultrasound. And that's a pretty magical experience. You get to hear the heartbeat. You get mm. the picture. Well, a few weeks later, we went in for another ultrasound and um, there, there was no heartbeat. So uh, that was a very difficult thing to go through and something just triggered and she got pregnant again pretty quickly. And that's really when the problem just got out of control. Mm. During the pregnancy? No, after the pregnancy, although it was a very difficult oh. pregnancy, she went on strict bed rest for the last 10 oh, weeks, um, failing placenta. And uh, it was very, very stressful. And he came six, seven weeks early and everything was fine. And well, you know, about six months old, I was going through a, ba a bag of baby clothes that a friend had given me. Mm. And I felt something, I reached in and it, I, I pulled out a little airplane size empty bottle of vodka. And then I reached yeah. in and I pulled out another one and then another yeah. one and I pulled out 13. Mm. And that's kind of when life changed. Mm. How, how old was the baby then? Uh, this was about six months old. And then when he was about 10 mm. months old, Thanksgiving, I was up giving him a, a bath, putting him to bed. And we had had dinner with her family and everything was wonderful. And then I came downstairs and I, I found her unresponsive on the kitchen floor. Mm. 
And I rushed her to the emergency room and did some tests. And the doctor just came in and just looked at her and said, how much do you drink? Because your liver Mm -hmm. enzymes are off the charts and you you have brain atrophy. And then we're talking about a 29-year-old woman. And he said, you're way too young to have brain atrophy. And that's that's when the journey changed. And obviously, you know, I went home immediately, got all the alcohol out. I stopped drinking for about, you know, six, seven weeks. I was like, oh, oh, I can do it. But um, it just got progressively worse and worse. And then rehab was necessary. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the thing that saved the thing that saved us was the pandemic. I got divorced February 5th, right before the pandemic hit. Um, I went to court. I was I had run out of money. I was representing myself, but I ended up winning and we got her on Soberlink for for a year. So that really helps because, you know, the problem with alcoholism, the only way you know that they're not drinking is if you have proof because lying is just part of the disease. And, um, you know, she couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't go anywhere. She had to be tested a year. And this pandemic really kind of saved my family. Did did she, did she have a DUI or something? I mean, how do you, what, yeah. She did get a DWI. Yes, she did. Uh, Her health started, her health started to deteriorate so badly. Um, you know, her hands were shaking. She couldn't cut her meat. She couldn't button buttons. She was losing feelings in her, in her hands and her fingers. And Mm so, um, I don't even really know how long this was going on or how bad it was. Just an extremely high functioning, you know, addict at the point. Mm. Did you have to go to, but it was interesting because, oh God, you know, I went to the the Al-Anon and we did the family stuff and it's an interesting thing. I, I felt, I felt resentment. Like, why do I have to go to these things? And then when you realize, you know, Al-Anon is not about the other person, it's about you, but you got to go through a lot of stuff when you're dealing with this and you know, how much is my fault? She went through a lot with American Idol. We were in the public eye. It wasn't just my life that got turned upside down. It was hers as well. So, um, Mm. as I said, the good news is we are on great terms. We are divorced. Uh, but we, we just took our kid to Hawaii about four months ago. So we're, we're on that good of terms. Nice. So it's the, just what's best for him to give him some kind of semblance of a family. So, so what were you doing when American Idol came along? I have been doing stand-up comedy since I was 20 years old and, uh, moved to LA, started getting little, little acting parts in, um, uh, two guys, a girl on a pizza place, Darm and Greg. I did a mm. guest starring role on friends. And um, I, I got a deal for my own. People forget who was in who was in the 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 pizza place. That's right. The cast. I actually was yeah. on that show a couple times. Um, but very, uh, yeah, very, I got a deal for my own people. sitcom. Yeah, yep. Ryan Reynolds. Heard of him? Ryan Super Reynolds. nice guy. Yep. Even then, I had like four yep. lines. It's like, why are they wasting all this talent on four lines? I'm like, you don't need people don't need to talk to you at all if you're doing four lines. But he was a really really nice guy. Yep. Um, so yep. I got a deal for a sitcom. Uh, with Castle Rock. And I also, I always joked, I'll get a deal for my own sitcom and the world will come to an end. Well, I got my deal September 7th of 2001. And then it kind of seemed oh like the gosh. world was ending. So we pitched wow. the networks. It didn't get bought. But um, a, a year later, they were doing this show at Fox called Pop Idol. And they remembered me and somebody was there when I pitched and asked me to come in. And I, I had not, I'd stopped going on any hosting auditions. So I said, well, I'll go in. And I was requested. And I guess I'd seen 3,000 people already. And I, I went in and I auditioned and I ended up getting it. 3,000, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and did you know Ryan before that? I did not. I tested and then with about six other people. And then I, uh, it was just one of those magical moments where I got my first laugh 
And I had him. It was all improv, just pairing us up, giving us information to get across, go. And I, it just, it was one of those lightning in the bottle situations. Well, that night I went immediately to a buddy's house and started drinking because it's a very, very stressful process. I think I was three drinks in and I got a call from the casting director. We can't get a hold of your agent or manager. Can you come back at 7 a.m. tomorrow? And I thought, Perfect. how can I do anything Perfect. but screw this up? No way am I going. Yeah. But it was just to have breakfast to meet this guy, Ryan Seacrest. I guess what they wanted, they, huh. did, they were too uh, nervous to give this job to two guys without broadcasting experience. So Ryan had a very mm. successful radio show, had done some TV gigs, and we tested together. We were working the next day. Hmm. The next day. The next day we wow. were on set working. Now, let me give you a little backstory. I was coming huh. out of a pretty big period of heavy drug use. Um, I was doing a lot of ecstasy. The kids call it Molly now. Um, and Coke and, you know, always been a drinker and um, just got to the point where I thought I, I got to get a grip. At that point, I had I had nothing to lose, but I thought I've got everything to not gain. So I stopped and I got clean and I, within a, a, probably a month, I booked three gigs, a commercial, uh, an animated series on MTV and this show Pop Idol. So I went into that experience completely raw because I was you mm. know, starting to feel again. So that's the mental state mm -hmm. that I went into the show with. So it was, it was definitely a challenge. Had you just stopped or were you actually in the program? No, I just stopped. No, no program. Yeah. I just thought you got to get a grip. I was able to do it. And, um, you know, I was still drinking, but I wasn't doing drugs. But, um, you know, very early on when I found out really what the show was, there was a point that first day where kid after kid was coming out just bawling. I mean, some of them are devastated. And I, yeah. maybe because I'm a performer and I've been on so many auditions, I, my heart went out to them and I just didn't understand why they were doing that. And it was, it just didn't really get any better that whole first season. And, and you know, this film is not about bashing American Idol at all. This is about me telling what I saw, what happened. So the audience can put themselves in my position. What would I have thought? What would I have done? I'm, I'm, oh boy, what would the audience member have done? You mean, well, how would you deal with right. this situation? You, what, right, right. If you were me, how would I, you I remember. I don't, <laughs> Our I don't, son went yeah, yeah. tried out for American Idol and oh, no had kidding. to go to Kansas. He's, mm. yeah, and, it, you know, we know Ryan Seacrest because we met, you know, back in the day. And, and we had mm. changed from San Francisco to Kansas City because my son was going to go to Vanderbilt. So we ended up in an audition with a bunch of people with banjos and, and ukuleles. <laughs> and um, he sings opera, right? So he was sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time. He didn't make it. Right. And he was devastated for like 24 hours. And then yeah. he was fine because then he was going to go to college the next day. But, but literally right. his... It was like he had just lost the biggest football game of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he just was oh, so sure. devastating. When, so, and I had to everything sit and is look so at that, him at dinner. It's so big. When you're yeah. a kid that because age, he really thought he had so, a chance. So and right. Yeah. And now, I first was, season of America. Didn't. The first season, but you got to understand, like that. You know, I they were intentionally finding kids that weren't good. They pre-screened every one of those kids. If you were okay, they didn't have any interest in you. But I saw people on walkie talkies like we got this girl. She's completely out of her mind. We're going to crush her. And I'm like, what are you? This girl is 16 years old. So you're, you're, you're intentionally yeah. letting these, let's just say in some way deficient children 
audition and yeah. then you're crushing them. It just, um, I didn't, I didn't dig it to my knowledge. I guess American Idol doesn't do that anymore and good for them. Everybody, you know, don't we all want to grow and evolve and get better and learn. And apparently they have too, but it was not that way season one and I could not deal with it. For years they had people who, well, it's called the Dunning Kruger effect, which is where you think you sound good or you think you know what you're talking about, yeah. but you have no idea. Uh, and it wasn't that first year when that Asian dude, uh, what was his name? He actually became that famous. That was second was so year. Bad. That was William Hung. Second year. Hung, William yes, Hung. Yes, and you know right. what? A couple years, Drew, a couple years after that, I was doing stand-up and I was on an airplane. And uh, William Hung was on my same flight. And all I thought Fantastic. the whole time was if the plane, if this plane goes down, I'm going to get second billing <laughs> in the obituaries to William <laughs> Hong. Like that's the final insult. Yeah. <laughs> American Idol star. And oh, by the way. <laughs> oh, and that guy. Yeah, the guy used to host it. Yeah, that guy, the host, we don't remember so, his name. I, I do. I do remember that first season. I remember when the two of you were hosting together. Uh and in fact, as I, I'm again, my memory may be very. When, how long ago was it? It got to be 15 years ago or something like that. 20. Yeah, 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, but I felt as my memory is you sort of playing lead when you, the two of you would come out, you'd be the one holding the mic up to the, the performer. Is, am I remembering that correctly? No, you are not. Because as a matter of fact, okay. when Ryan and I tested together, I had to sit and wait for about two hours. And I was thinking, gee, I, I just, I'm losing my mind having to audition again. And people were running back and forth. They were actually doing his deal on the phone. And so I, uh, for, to what I was told, he speaks first. He is on the left. He, you know what I mean? Kind of one-upping yeah, everything. Yeah. No, he was more yeah. of the straight broadcaster and I was supposed to be the funny one. The color. Okay, got it. And, yeah. and what happened? What, 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 uh. Oh, by the way, who did you else did you test with? I'm just curious. Anybody else of, of note? You know what? The final guy, they put two of us together that had been in before. And I thought, okay, I'm with this guy again. This is a good sign. And they, uh, they took us around the corner. I didn't know who it was, but they, uh, they said to me, they said to the other guy, you drive the train. And then they looked at me and they said, you just, just back off a little bit. Because I had him in a headlock and I was not letting go. And the two of us went in, it was just five points of information. You know, it's a singing contest, you're in New York, it's the second round, a judge's birthday, whatever, go. And we did our bit and then he went, and I have no idea what the fifth thing was. And he got a little oh. bit of a laugh and I thought, man, is that what did not, is that what sealed the deal for this guy? And that guy was in the news a little recently, his name is Mike Richards from oh, Jeopardy. wow. Someone else who got kind of canceled. Yeah. So that should have been Seacrest. I often think what would life have been if the two of us, if me and Mike Richards were the hosts? Interesting. Wow. Mm -hmm. That would have been interesting. I'm surprised they were even trying to have two male hosts like now, like in news and everything. They just, they always have to have a man well, and a woman. Two, and now court. two white guys, forget it. Yeah. Two white males. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Well, they were trying to replicate yeah. the, the British version. Uh, two guys, their names are right. Ant and Deck. And they've been a team since childhood. So they were trying to replicate this chemistry. But, you know, they put a radio DJ with, a, with an R-rated road comic is what they did. <laughs> and it, um, it didn't really work. <laughs> the problem was, Drew, is they wanted, they wanted me to be more like him. 
And I'm like, that's not uh. what I am. I'm a smart ass. I'm a comedian. I don't do the jumping around and I don't do the cheesy stuff. And that's what they wanted from him. And look, you know, are there some things in this film Ryan is not happy about? I hope not. I'm a different mm. person. He's a different person. It's been a long time, but, um, you know, we, we had our problems. We did not get along and I, I acknowledge my part of it. I, I, I had a lot of time to look back and, and rethink all this. What did I do wrong? But, um, you know, I wish the guy nothing but the best. I kind of remember you guys rousing each other a lot, right? Like, kind of. Oh, yeah, that was real. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I talk about in the film. There was one episode where we read off a giant teleprompter. And um, four times in a live broadcast, Ryan did not say what was on the prompter, which was a direct setup for my line or my joke or my information. And the fourth time, you can go back and watch. Mm. He looked at me and said, say something, Dunk. And I said, what do you want me to say, Ryan? How about we'll be right back with more American Idol? We'll be right back. And then I looked at him, I said, you're going to say one damn thing that's on the prompter tonight? When the show, when we went off the air, I had to be held back. My manager and my best friend were there. They, they picked me up. They threw me in an elevator so that I wouldn't cause a scene or go after him. But I don't know why this happened. I mean, there was a very competitive thing that went on between us. But, um, you know, it's all water under the bridge. He seems to be doing fine. Is that why things fell apart or was there something else that happened? That was basically it. You know, our chemistry was not there. I, I have to admit, I do believe I got perceived as difficult. I, I, like I said, I was raw from the drug use. I could not control my emotions. Um, as a comic, you have control over what you're saying. It's your words. They handed me the script that the executive producers wrote, my bosses, and it was so corny, Drew. I went out in my yeah. car, I cried. Oh, I know. I started crying. I am and I sure. thought, how am I going to do this? I, I, you know, you want credibility I, listen, as a comedian. Yeah, I, uh, so <laughs> it's really interesting. So uh, I, you know, dealt with Corolla for all those years and they would hand him scripts yeah. once in a while and he would just go, he goes, this isn't funny. He goes, give me a second. I'll come up with something. Read the script. He's like, yeah. no, no, no. You don't understand. This, this is not going to work. And you, and history will not be, he kept saying history will not be kind to this. And he and I said, just <laughs> let me, just let me, let me just improv a little bit with this. See if we can come up with something. Read the line. Yeah. And uh, so I think and, I, you know, I, I then, offended them. Yeah, well, they, they don't, they, back then, particularly, producers did not look kindly on talent, sort of, I, I'm surprised they let Ryan, whatever he was doing, off script, because they, they were sort of, you know, they felt they knew better. And then, I, I don't know if you remember this guy, but I ended up broadcasting on radio with a guy named Stryker years after Idol, and he he tested, right? Yeah, I believe so. A lot of people did. Yeah. They offered him the job. No, he. I don't know that he got that far, but but he he turned it a down. Lot like, of oh, it's lame. It's this, it's, no, he. Yeah. It wasn't. It was an alternative. It was pop, and he won't work with pop. Well, Only it was just he thought, and, I, and he. But but to to his credit, he was responding to some of the stuff you were responding to. It's like it's too corny. It's too whatever, you know. But he he. You know, I don't think he actually got. I don't know. I don't know the history there, but no, I remember but, he passed on yeah. it. Yeah, I don't or know the if it opportunity. Was, yeah, it was more the opportunity because he and Ryan were kind of at the same level of you know. I suppose that's radio true. genius that's, at that point. That's true. Yeah. Well, see, I hired well, then, a couple buddies, and, a couple comedians. I hired friends of mine to do punch up. I could only come up with so many ideas for an intro for Randy Jackson, and I, like I would get the script, fax it to them, and then they would punch it up. And if I I would pitch the joke right before show. And then it got to the point, I just do it. I would just say what I wanted to do because I was just at that point. Why bother? They don't know what's funny. 
And I thought I they, did. They, so. they don't. Well, you probably, <laughs> I, I'm certain you did. Uh, certainly more than they. Because it's yeah. even people that are in charge of comedy on television don't really understand funny most of the time. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Exactly. I know Ryan was really nervous because I ran into him the second season and I said, you know, that Stryker had passed. And he said, I told him that he reminded me a lot of Rick Dees, like a young Rick Dees, because I knew him back in the 80s. And, um, and, I, and he says, oh, I hope I can be rich like him one day. I said, well, just be, be professional and show up on time. Like, don't, you know, don't do stupid disc jockey stuff. Like, disc jockeys are known for being kind of nuts most of the time. And he, he looked yeah. at me and, I, you know, maybe he took my advice. I don't know. Well, let's. Um, but he is he. It was corny, and it was really weird for radio people to be doing mainstream. You know, it was. It just doesn't fit the profile. Well, yeah, I mean, dependent. I mean, well, it worked doing, out. Yeah, it worked out okay. Yeah, he's fine. But, all right, so he, I want to. I want to hear more about. Yeah, <laughs> you said a comment a minute ago. I want to drill into a little bit after this break, but um, that. You looked at the cancellation that you went through. In retrospect, now it's the good old days. Am I am I framing yes. that correctly? Okay. Yeah. I want to hear more well, about because that. That's what, because of what happened with my my wife and my son, that was uh, the idol was a I walk see. in the park compared to what I went through with that. I see. Well, we'll talk more about that after this quick break. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. Soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because... It's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com and the code is D-R-E-W. A reminder that immediate effects can have results in just 12 hours. The yes. immediate effects. The eye creams are amazing. Listen to Susan, everybody. She knows what she's talking about. Um, someone on uh, Everything's amazing. Twitch here, uh, I, unfortunately, because your name's in color, I can't read it against the dark out, the dark background on my screen. Um, he says, dubba, 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 you WB. And uh, what he's referring to is some of the silly shit that Adam and I used to have to say. <laughs> Believe it or not, Loveline on MTV was first a Fox show. It was going to be a Fox late night show. And we had cleared 90% of the country. And we actually were going around to our affiliates all over the country. And we were doing promos and you know meeting people and that kind of thing. Um, what happened was the company who distributed us called New World got bought by Fox because New World had a bunch of owned and operated stations that Fox wanted. 
they got those stations and they canceled all the programming and we were part of that cancellation. But when we were out on the road, although we were a Fox, uh, we were lit, rolled out over Fox network, there were some cities didn't have a Fox station back in those days and we would end up on the WB. And then they had that stupid frog from the Warner Brothers cartoons and they would stand us in front of cameras. I'll never forget this one. They would make us repeat over and over again. It's the dubba 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 WB. And again, Adam just goes, okay, well, that's that's awful. This is history will not, this is be gone in two seconds and history will not be kind to it. And it was gone in two seconds and we have made fun of it ever since. So there we are. The guest, of course, Brian Dunkelman. Brian's still with us. The new series is Dunkelman. What, which, what do we call it? Do we call it a stand-up, Brian? Do we call it a show? Let's call uh, it a special. On, uh, let's call it, let's call special, it special on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Special. I love it. Special. His own special on Amazon Prime. And we were just talking about uh, how things kind of unwound over there at American Idol. What happened? You know what I like? You know, I got to take advantage of this, Drew. I, I haven't been in therapy okay. in about seven years, which is a horrible mistake. But right. hey, you're, you're basically the Dr. Joyce brothers of our day. I, mean, I know I'm dating myself All by right. saying that, but like, I want to get into what, what I went through because I worked out this film was the best therapy that I've ever had. And it kind of leads to mm -hmm. something I'm going through now that I, I'd like your opinion on. But um, okay. in the beginning of the film, I talk about my father died when I was 11 years old. Um, I'm the youngest yeah. of 10 children. It was right after I turned 11 and something happened uh, just briefly. They, there was a baseball seminar and they cut, they put all the kids in two different groups. Our school district was two uh, towns, Ellicottville, Great Valley. My father had helped, uh, volunteered to help coach. Well, when they split us up in the teams, I was supposed to go to one side, but my best friend at the time was like, come on, man, we got to play together today. And so I went to the other team and the look in my father's eyes when I walked to the other side. And he didn't really say anything to me on the way home. And, and Drew, he died the next day. So I have, mm. I have dealt with that. I've carried that guilt. I've carried that shame. Mm -hmm. And that, that's been, that was basically uh, the, the, the defining moment in my life was my father's death. This is what led to my early alcohol use. Probably 11 or 12 is when sure. I started drinking. Smoking pot at an sure. early age, the drug use before idle, the yeah. drug use during. But that guilt that I've carried my whole life. Um, now, after American Idol, and um, basically, I found out in a hotel room in uh, Connecticut, my best friend was making his college coaching debut at D3 school. All my best friends from high school were there. We're in my room, and we're getting drunk before the game, and E is on in the background. Well, all of a sudden, they put Ryan Seacrest's picture, and they're like, Ryan Seacrest just re-signed for upwards of $1 million for season two of Idol. Still no word on co-host Brian Dunkelman. And then they put my picture up, and it's just silent. And then we all at the same time burst out laughing. Like, what the hell am I doing on television in the first place? This isn't real. <laughs> Let's just keep, we just keep drinking. And what had happened is they had re-signed Simon and they had re-signed Ryan and they let me and Paul and Randy twist. And I started losing mm. it. I was so like, I was getting crushed in the press. I waited a couple of weeks and I thought, I'm done. This is my sign. I'm just, I, I'm moving on because I really did want to be an actor and I really didn't want to do that show anymore. And um, when the second season premiered, uh, you know, it went premiered to 33 million people. Coupled with the fact that I could not get representation, I fired my manager and agent. Nobody would touch me. As one manager said, you've got the mm. stink on you. He said, nobody believes Jeez. you quit. And the show became so huge, I, I, I could barely get out of bed. I became so depressed, I could not function. In fact, 
I did have a road gig and I remember being on an airplane and hitting a little turbulence and thinking, just go down, just go down and end this because, and then, like I say, I wasn't suicidal. I think I've got too big an ego to ever go through with it, but I was suicide adjacent and I saw a psychiatrist and I said, I don't want to do, I I don't want to talk. Just give me something. I need drugs to take this away. And unfortunately she, she prescribed me Paxil. I'm somebody who Mm. was kind of, she diagnosed me as, as bipolar too. And Paxil is not what you're supposed to go on. And I went into hypomania and I, I lost Uh-oh. it for a good year. Uh, really, really out of control, drinking out of control, drugs out of control, gambling. I was driving around in my convertible on the freeway, like weaving in and out of traffic, like I was playing pole position. I just spun out. And of course, those were all the opportunities that were coming from Idol. Did a couple pilots, but I, I burned a lot of bridges. And, and that's what sunk mm. me into a, a, a deep, dark hole that I was in for quite a while. Um, and that's, that's what I've been trying to dig out of ever since finally started working a little bit. And I, I had the realization, I'm not going to make it big again, but I get a little acting part here, a little voice over here, a corporate gig. I'm making a living in the entertainment industry and I let it all go. And then that's what happened when the alcoholism of my, my son's mother started. And then, and then nothing mattered, nothing mm. in the world mattered other than keeping this kid safe. And as I said, I, I, I just snatched him out of preschool one day and I got on a plane, I left. And um, it's all been about trying to recover from all of that um, these last couple of years. But when this film, this was during the pandemic, it was my birthday, June 23rd. I had decided I got to get out of town. I got to go somewhere. I went to Palm Springs because there was a couple of hotels and golf courses open. I got a call that morning from a guy that had basically called my manager my manager said, he wants to do a life, you know, your, your life story. And um, we had the lunch meeting and um, shot the theater, but I relived every single painful part of my life. And in the editing process, I had to watch it over and over and you try to detach, but every time the loss of the baby, mm-hmm. everything that I went mm-hmm. through and it really, I started to heal and I started to gain empathy for my son's mother. And if you would have told me I could even have been in the same room with her, I would have said, you're crazy. Cut to now, you know, we go to the Rose Bowl for the 4th of July fireworks. We do things with him as a family because I was able to forgive her. But um, my mother passed away four months afterwards. After we- After uh, Idol? No, after we finished the the film. So she died a year and a half ago. It was about three months after we shot. And going through all of that and reliving the death of my father. And then I knew when my mother died, she was 91. It was coming at some point. But um, sure. I knew I was going to have to relive the father dying too. So I had something kind of pretty amazing happen. I just, if I can just tell this story, I got a call from my sister. My mother was in assisted living. It's COVID. Mom's fading fast. She was on the phone or she was with her in the room. Thank God this place let my sister be in. So my mother was not alone. I was on the phone all day. She, they came and went. She was still there. My sister went home to get some sleep. Came back the next day. I was on the phone all day. Still, mom was still there. And the nurses were like, we don't understand what's going on. There's no way that she should still be here. And as my sister left to go home, she said to, uh, you know, one of the nurses says, sometimes they'll hold on until they hear one particular voice. Well, my mother had heard Mm -hmm. nine out of her 10 children's voices. My brother was in Ecuador. He was out of the country. He had spotty service, but he knew what was going on. He just wasn't responding. And I thought, you know what? He was with my mother when my father died. And I know that screwed him up. And I thought, this is too painful for him. 
But I, instead of getting angry, I texted him. I said, I have a theory. I told him what the nurse said. I said, I think it's really important that you call your sister right effing now and let mom go. Mm. The next morning he got the message. He called my sister immediately. She put the phone to my mother's ear and she heard his voice and she died about 20 minutes later. And my sister said that the next song that came on in the room on the Sirius radio station was Come Fly With Me by Sinatra. So you can have your idea of what a coincidence is. Bottom line, that night, I don't know how else to say this. My mother came to me and I just started bawling. I hadn't cried yet. And I just looked up. I said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay now, mama. And I'm not kidding. The next day I woke up, I was not sad. I was elated. I danced around my apartment and listened to Frank Sinatra and sang at the top of my voice all day until I was too tired to stop and I had to stop. The next day, same thing. Just this energy coursing through me. My sister called me. She said, I don't know what's going on, but I am flying. I said, so am I. Mm. I said, I feel like I'm on drugs. And I know all too well what that feels like. And Drew, it's not gone away. I don't have depression mm. anymore. It's gone. So either I had some kind of miracle happen or I've had a psychotic break and have been in a one and a half <laughs> well, year long manic episode because I, I don't know how to be happy but I'm happy now and I'm trying to harness this. So I, I, I do have concerns that I'm Thelma Louisan off the cliff here, but there's been no crash. No, no, I'm a little, I'm a little confused. Wait, what was a year and a um, half? No, well, a year and a half. What I have that? been, my mother died a year and a half ago since the month, but since the night she died, when I had that okay. experience, I have not had depression and I have had my, my hair stands on end when I talk to my sister on the phone. Um, I don't know how else to describe this, but I feel like it, it seems to me the pain I carried around for my entire life when my father died, it's now gone. Yeah. And I don't okay. know if this is some so, kind of divine intervention or if I've had some kind of break or if the work that I've gradually well, done has just led me to this place of recovery. Okay, well, Susan, Susan wants to jump in because she's a spiritualist. She has a million thoughts, I'm sure. No, no, no. But, you tell us your... Well, I, you packed a lot into that, Brian. There's, there's a lot of a stuff lot. going on there. So, so let me, yeah, let me kind of, uh, let me just parse out some of the things. The, the, the editing of the film, right? It's almost like you did your own, expo like you did exposure therapy. And yes. exposure therapy does help people reduce the power of certain things. Uh, there's various kinds of exposure therapies out there. Usually it's thought of as something we do for anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. But it makes sense to me. It, you know, it would it would also have potentially some good effect on managing things you had a lot of strong feelings about. Uh, so that makes sure. sense to me. The psychiatrist that put you on the Paxil and made you hypomanic did you at least one favor, which is that now you know you have bipolar two because that's sort of diagnostic, right? The fact sure. that you developed that. Uh, how was that period? Was it? I mean, why did they keep you on the Paxil? Why didn't they give you a mood? Because I was lying. I was lying. I was lying to her. Because you were using. All right. You're not drinking. And no, then, I'm not drinking. I'm not okay. doing coke. Nope, not gambling. I'm doing all of those things got because it. I felt incredible. Got it, got it. Because you liked it. You liked how it all felt, stuff too. Right? I loved it. Yeah, right. Who doesn't like so, being So high? you have to... No, I get it. And you have, you have to be... In, in the, so one of the questions then is something re-triggering a, a, a mood swing right now. Is this all part of a mood swing? And you know, underneath that is a sort of a philosophical question, which is sort of like, who cares as long as you're moderated and you feel well? 
And if it was yes. triggered, then then the other layer to this is that many times when parents die, uh, the child is relieved of a lot of things that he or she often can't shake until the parent is gone. Uh, and guilt and shame can be those sorts of things. Usually not grief, though. So I, so I want to hear a little more, if you don't mind, about your dad. And, and sure. what did he die of? He just died very suddenly one day. Um, he, he worked at our school. He was in charge of the, the transportation. He was transportation supervisor, ran all the buses and all the schedules. I guess it was a very hot day. He was working with some chemicals, some cleaner. And I guess he was talking to somebody in the parking lot, turned to walk away and dropped. And the blow to the head hmm. is what was the official cause of death. He just never so, came back. So he fainted. He fainted, and then secondarily, the head and the bleeding yes. in the brain, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. that's that's and, what the and, official cause of death was. Right, and and that's you know for eleven year old, I mean, it doesn't get worse, right? I mean, it's an awful thing no matter what. And, and the yeah. fact that you clung to this this memory of having, I guess, let him down is what the way you experienced that, right? Maybe humiliated him in a little bit of a way. You know, the, you, you're you're you helping think, coach on one side. Your kid goes to the other. You're you're a dad now. Let's say you have an eleven-year-old son. Well, let's just say, can I tell you what a cathartic experience I'm about to have? Because in two years, I will be the same age my father was when he passed away, and my son will be exactly the same age I was when it happened. Right, and and he will do some screwball shit, and oh, you know what you'll think about I'm sure it. He will. You know what I mean, and, and you, you'll think exactly nothing about it. <laughs> you, it'll just be part of your parenting experience. So even though yeah. you, as the eleven-year-old, have made this humongous deal out of this thing, that even if your dad had lived another month, he probably wouldn't remember. Or if he did, it would be just some sort of he'd like an explanation or what. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be that meaningful yeah. to him. He was just happy to be there on the field with you. You know how that is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I just, um, when do you, it might not have been that big a deal to him. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm positive. You think about it. You're a dad. Think about it. And True. so when are you going to, going to forgive your 11 year old self is the question. I mean, it's an 11 year old. I'll tell you when I did. Not, you're I'll not, tell a, you when not I an did. adult. When? Drew, I did forgive myself when I helped deliver my mother to him. I was like, I think dad's got to forgive me now. I, okay. whether or not, okay. There is anything to this, but in my head, yeah. I helped her yeah. transition and I am proud of myself and I forgive myself okay. for ever. I've, that's the one thing about this film. It's a, it's a big part of, it's a, for, about forgiveness, forgiving other people, but yeah. most importantly, yeah. forgiving myself okay. for everything. I, yep. I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. And, and I think you had some unresolved grief lingering around because of that unclosed guilt loop you were in <laughs> just you, you're stuck mm -hmm. in that guilt loop so you can never get on with the with the grief uh and probably you were relieved not just of the guilt but of the grief also and uh, that's a pretty cool yeah. thing well also when somebody's yeah. 91 and you're waiting yeah. you know you know what's going to happen between the age of 85 and 91 and you see them slowly deteriorate and you know that they're not happy where they are yeah. or they get into a state where they're not able to communicate and they just, mm -hmm. they don't want to be alive or whatever. Yep. There's so much weight on the family just saying, you know, you know, you're going to be better in your new world. You know, once you pass, you know, they're going to, Oh, be she was ready. 
for years yeah. she and was so ready. It's almost, she was suffering from dementia. It's a relief. Yeah. yeah. The terrible. dementia, especially my mother had dementia. And the day she died, I had that same feeling. Like suddenly all this guilt lifted and I, I, all the things that she always like made me feel bad about myself about, I just forgot. Like I just said, oh, yeah. I can live my own life now. Yeah. But that, that's, not that, only that's that, that yeah, but you just also feel such happiness that they're, they're warm and in a higher place, you know? And that's the thing, my that, sister and I, my, my sister said, I think people are getting upset when I see them in town. They're like, I'm so sorry about your mother. And she's like, she did it. And people are like, yeah. what are you crazy? And we both feel this way to the day. And you know what? I have yeah. not been doing stand-up. I just started getting up and doing stand-up again because I have to headline in two weeks at her memorial. Her memorial mm. is in a little over two weeks because we waited until it was safe. And it's never going to be safe again, apparently. So we're doing it July 30th. And I'm speaking. And and I I I am a little worried. Like, what's is this going to go away as soon as I am done speaking? I don't. I don't really know, no, but um, you had no, mentioned spiritualism. No. Can I just throw in the fact that I started seeing 1111 all the time a couple of years ago, and then all of these dominoes and these synchronicities have led me to where I am right now. It's undeniable. I never believed in any of that crap. Do you, do you have any oh, opinion good. about that? Because it's a thing. Oh yeah, numbers are signs. Okay, That's there's her. you're you're yeah. getting little notes from above. You can come. You can come on to yes. this other show. Yeah, where she talks yeah, we'll a lot about I would love to. I want to talk about this. Yeah. You can talk to your mom and dad. Um, I worked with a lot of psychics. Over, I did a podcast for about four years about psychic mediums, okay. and you know they are really good grief counselors. I gotta say, That's like true. If you, that is the one thing I have felt about them that they can relieve well, one people of, out of grief. One of my yeah. psychics, Cindy Kaza, is not only on television, but she became a psych psychotherapist as well. Hmm. So getting a psychic psychotherapist is really a good thing. Yeah, because oh, um, I want one. You know, you can. You can connect with your loved ones, you know, because our brains are all connected still after people go to the other side, I think. Yeah. And, you know, number numbers come through. Um, Paulina, my daughter, they were born on 11-11. And so, like, every time an 11-11 comes up, they, like, have to show me. But, you know, like, yeah. my dad's address was 707. And every time I see that, I, I think of him and I know that I wake up yeah. at 707 in the morning, almost every day. Hmm. And, oh, you know, funny. I look at the clock. Yeah. I look at the clock and it's 707. Hmm. I'm like, hi dad. Um, but hmm. you're, you're not crazy. Okay. So you have to realize that, you know, Drew is a doctor, so he doesn't really like to talk about this stuff. Um, yeah. because it's all subjective you know but if you know sure. it in your heart you feel it in your soul you know it's real and if you if you have a little conversation with your mom and dad you know when you're in bed at night before you go to bed they they can hear you they're they're still there yeah. that's my interpretation and they will visit you and the, sometimes they'll make water come out of the ceiling and electronics shut down all of a sudden when you have a cell right. in the house okay. so yeah, don't do that. Right. Um, <laughs> so I've got some questions for... for uh, All right, for, sorry. I had to go on. So, so you were one of 10 kids. Where, where were you in yes, the Yes, the youngest. The youngest of the 10. Youngest. I'm the baby. And was that, was that a difficult part of the lineup? No. Was it tough to be the youngest? Phenomenal. Yeah. It, it was it's phenomenal, okay. which I'm very close okay. to my youngest sister, probably my closest sibling, but um, she's the one who like kind of took care of me a lot because my mother and father, they... they 
as my mother says, Brian's just the one that we didn't expect to come along. So you were expecting right. nine, but you know, they shot till they were out of bullets. That's what they did. But they would go down to the Legion. My father was a veteran and they were very active in that life. And my sister did a, uh, took a large part in the, in the raising uh, of me. But, you know, I had an amazing childhood. My brother told me, I never knew this, they used to line up to read to me at night. Hmm. Um, my parents hmm. let them name me. They, I walked at a very early age because, like, I was a, I was a toy. And the thing that was cool very is I was always known as Little Dunk. And people that knew me because they knew my family, but I didn't know them. I just dug that at a very early age. Where was so I this? don't know if that had where was to that? do. In in Western New York, Ellicottville, New York is where I where I grew up. Very small town, great place. But I like that. You know me, but I don't know you. So I don't know if that was part of what led me into this business. I think what led me to stand up was to Could try be. and fill the, the the black hole from my father. That's why I got into this. The void. The void. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I have a couple of questions. Anybody else in your family have bipolar or substance issues? We are pretty sure one of my brothers does. We're actually laughing about it because we're on a text chain and it's nonstop, nonstop. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be the brother that I got to call. So I think he has had an experience also, and I don't think he knows what to do with it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him and speaking to him about it. But I think we all got a little touched, but he's, I think so. I had a couple uncles touched. that were, you know, a little touched. <laughs> touched. That's the best way to describe my brother. And I'm a little touched too. I mean, you have to be, so, to be in this business. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Everybody else. And, and so, so back to the American Idol days, were, were you doing drugs or alcohol during the filming of, of that first season at all? I was drinking um, heavily. Yeah. But uh, I do okay. I do acknowledge in the film that I slipped once and the night before a live show, um, look, I was, you know, after a couple cocktails and somebody says, hey, we should get some Coke. And I'm like, well, here's some money. Go get it. That sounds like a great idea. And I did Coke and I finally, I think I fell asleep at 7 a.m., went to work, blocking, rehearse, live show. And I pulled it off. And then oh, that night I went to a buddy's house and he oh, had Caleb, some Coke. I lost so were, uh, sound. Is that just an still, end or Oh, here we go. Hold I can on one still hear second. you. Ryan, one second. There you go. You're back. Say it again. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, did, uh, I did Coke the night before a live show. I, uh, I fell asleep at probably 7 a.m., went in, rehearsed, blocked, did live television, uh, pretty cracked out, and pulled it off. And that night, I went to a buddy's house, and there were a couple people there, and, well, he had some Coke, and I did what any sane, normal person would do. I did the same goddamn thing again. And I stayed up doing coke all night, two nights in a row, did live television the next night, two times in a row. So, um, but that was the only time I slipped. And then once the show was over, it would forget it. It was right back into it. And, you know, it, it might have had to, to some of your irritability with Ryan, I, I suspect. <laughs> it, might, it, might have, it might have not been just the, the feeling things when you were detoxing, but then you started using again. It's, that's a roller coaster, man. And doing yeah, a, it know, really in is. the meantime, and you're and you're riding a brucking bronco. And how old were you at the time? I was thirty. I, I I do say I'd like to think I was just young and stupid, but I wasn't that young. I mean, I was thirty years still old. Still pretty young. Still pretty young. How, how did you come out yes. to Los Angeles, to the West? How did you? How did you? Up oh, I out? came out. I moved to Colorado. My brother was in the Air Force, and he was out of the country for a couple of years. I started doing stand up when I was twenty years old. 
And um, uh, a couple of years later, I, I went to Colorado to visit him, got into a club there. And um, he said, like, why don't you move here? You can live with us and my kids and I'll get you a job at the golf course. So I worked at the golf course. I'd get there at 5.30 a.m. And then I'd be at the comedy club every night till close, picking brains and trying to get on stage and meeting every comic. And I was seen by a casting scout from Disney. And then uh, I moved actually very close to my 25th birthday. I was there for about a year. And um, the day I got in, she was like, I told you to kept getting, kept telling you to get out here. I lost my job. And so I was like, well, I'm here. And then that's how I got to LA. And then just got into the comedy scene and just tried to figure it out. Interesting. And, and where's your wife from? How did you meet her? Uh, grew up in Pasadena, met through a friend mm -hmm. that I befriended at the, uh, at the improv, one of the guys that was one of the showroom managers. Uh, it was one of her friend, his friends from Boston college. So that's, we just started dating pretty much right away. And then her life got turned right upside down with mine. Goodness. And, and how was she affected by American Idol? Um, it was a lot of stress for me and her. She absorbed a lot of it. Look, we, we met the first night we hooked up, we were on ecstasy, you know, so we mm. did drugs beforehand and then we got clean and then it was just the alcohol. Like, you know, um, it, it was a lot to deal with. It was a lot. I mean, it was, it was wonderful too. We, we got to go out to really expensive dinners and go on trips, but, um, I was not fun to be around. And especially after mm. that second season or at the second season mm -hmm. premiered. She came home to find me on the, on the, it's, it's, there's symmetry because she came home to find me on, on, on the kitchen floor, curled up with a bottle of bourbon, bawling, saying, I'm just, I'm going to kill myself. I didn't know what else to do. I just did not want to be alive anymore. So she was there for me and then cut to all the years later, I find her on the floor. So it's, it's kind of a, almost a beautiful love story, this film as well. And, and take me forward from now. What are you, what are you looking forward to? How, what, what's Brian Dunkelman's life like? How does it, how is this, this special affected you? What, what's, what's the future look like? Well, I can tell you, let's go back to the, when I told you I started seeing 1111 everywhere and I thought I'm done making my own decisions. Everything I do is wrong. I'm just going to put my hands up and enjoy the ride. And so I'm not, I'm literally not kidding. I'm following the breadcrumbs and they've led me to that guy, uh, contacting me about doing the film. We do the film. I put the trailer online. Somebody from a production company sees it. Oh, I've always loved that guy. Contacted me. I'm in development for my own television show right now. It's basically kind of a congratulations. Thank you so much. And I mean, it's it almost oh feels like, like something happened at CERN and I got shot into another reality because I'm not miserable. I have this joy in my heart and I'm just following my instincts. And when, you, and when you give yourself over to the universe, if something doesn't happen that you want to happen, you have no justification for being upset. If you're going to say, well, that's the way it's supposed to be, I'm going to pivot immediately. And that's not what I used to do. And it's what I'm doing now. I got a call out of the blue three months ago, uh, just offering me an acting role. The first time I've acted since I took my son, it was six, six and a half years ago. My reps dropped me. And um, she just, it was an offer. And the, and the name of the show, Second Chances. All these oh, synchronicities, wow. are, they're too much to deny. It's, 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 it would make a good feature film. I'm still writing the script on that, but I don't know if I want to relive <laughs> anymore. But I'm really looking forward to We're going to start shooting um, for this show, and then hopefully somebody will think it's good, and, and it'll be on the air. We see stuff like but this in recovery all the time. People that, I understand. I mean, that, we see one, stuff right? like this all the, all the time um, in people who uh, 
let go. You know, it's faith. You, yeah. It's just, it's leap of faith. It's sort of letting things go and having faith that, that things will be, you know, that you're sort of flowing with the universe rather than trying to control it. And, you know, if yeah. you're an addict or alcoholic or using a lot of drugs, I mean, the, the controlling becomes the whole thing. It's a lot of what you spend your time doing. It, and um, sure. it, it, the, other, the other thing, I, I feel like you've, um, I, this is not going to sound quite right because it's not quite right what I mean, but you're not, humility is the word that comes to my lips, but it's more that you're not self-absorbed. Does that make sense? In the sense that you're not, not in your pain and you're not in your guilt and you're not in all these things that make you self-absorbed. No, I'm, I, I'm not self-absorbed. I'm a, I get what you mean. I'm a big fan of myself. Let's not, I'm not a narcissist. I just, I really like me. Um, but I am not a that, prisoner of my own thoughts anymore. Right. By and, the way, meditation is, by, what, meditation is what saved me. I started meditating. The first meeting that I went to my wife at that, she was my wife at the time. It was a meditation themed AA meeting. I went with her, mm. they closed, they shut the lights off. I meditated for the first time. And I was literally high when I walked out of there. And I thought there's something to this. None of this would have been possible mm-hmm. without, I've been, it's been seven years now. I've been meditating every day. Like TM or just mindfulness or what are you doing? Anything special? Usually, usually just mindful. And if there's distractions, I made right. up a little mantra, but like, it's just mindful meditation and breathing. And it's, I don't think I could live without it at this point. Yeah, the breathing. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Uh, uh, and and again, by by, I want I want to put a, a finer point on the self preoccupied comment I made. If you're in pain, like put your hit your finger with a hammer sometime and tell me if you aren't thinking about yourself. You know, I mean? when you're in pain, sure. you become naturally self preoccupied. That that to me that this notion of people being self preoccupied is is a negative. I, to me, it's a natural result of being sure. guilt and unresolved grill, uh, unresolved um, grief and all these things you've been describing and the recent traumas with your wife. And it, of course you're going to be self-preoccupied. It couldn't be otherwise. It's just the way it is. But you, but it feels like talking to you now based on wh- how you were describing things even a year ago, you, like this is lifted and you're able to have that faith it, and move forward and forgive yourself. All those really things has. that they talk about in the program. Yeah. I mean, it's it, whatever your higher power is, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the answers. Anybody who thinks they have the answer is absurd. You're a crazy person. Even if you're an atheist, I mean, come on, nobody knows what this is. Here's another it thing. Could be your mother. Once you your think your power could be your mother in the afterlife, you know, now you feel like you can connect to something. Once you think what, Brian? Well, basically I I'm kind of taking, I'm doing what the universe tells me to do. And at this, if it's, if it's my mother giving me signs through the universe, then maybe my mother is guiding me. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm not going to stop on this right. path because everything is going right. But when she, look, five of us were in town, five of us live in our hometown. And when she was buried, five watched on a Zoom and five were there. And not once did I feel an ounce of anger or resentment. Mm. Why did this happen during COVID? Why couldn't I be there? Why couldn't I have been holding her hand? I didn't have any of it. So grief in the absence of anger, what a concept. It's a beautiful thing. Right. It was really, and I, can't, I right. still have not hugged five of my siblings. So um, a couple of weeks from now, is going to be really cathartic for me. Um, but I, I'm just going to keep going on because it, it's working. And my son is thriving and his mother is thriving. And when life is so bad, and I, I have to admit this, it was so bad, I prayed for my son's mother to die. That's how bad it mm. was. And to think, just okay. imagine that. 
the son, your son's mother. And to now have everything be so wonderful, of course I'm living in gratitude and not resentment because life was so bad and now it is so beautiful and I'm just going to keep living in it. Well, I think that's a good place to sort of roll, so proud of you. roll to a stop. It's a great story. And I can't wait to see the, the spe- I can't wait to see the special. You just, just search for it on uh, Amazon Prime. Just go ahead and put in Dunkelman, D-U-N-K-L-E-M-A-N. All right, Brian. Really a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, it's quite one. One last question from me: Have you have you ever thought about yeah. going in and embracing more thoroughly a, a recovery program like your wife did? Not, I don't mean in treatment. I mean like in just going to some twelve step meeting, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I should I should have should kept going to uh, the Al Anon, but I'm like I'm taking care of a toddler. I don't have time for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do want to. Yeah. I yeah. want to go further with all of this, all of the self recovery, all of the. You know, more deeper into meditation, deeper into, you know, what is really happening? What is the fabric of reality? Mm-hmm. What, you know, all these negative thought patterns <laughs> that I'm releasing. That's, I didn't get canceled. I was, I was self-destructive here. Can I just end maybe how about this theory for uh, a realization, the guilt and the shame that I felt when my father died, did I put myself on this path because I felt like such a victim that I wanted to get as famous as I could so that I could self-sabotage and be a victim to the whole world. That's the thought that I've had that I it's, it's kind of deep to wrap my head around. Did I do this to myself to punish myself? That makes sense. And it, it's it, it finally, makes sense. finally set me free. It, it makes sense. It, it is deep and it suggests you have a lot of ability to um, shape your destiny. So hopefully the move forward is in a, in a much more productive growth. Yeah, it feels good. It feels like I'm on the right yeah. track, bud. Yeah, because you you were you did do that, and that the fact that you did that do that suggests you can do a lot of stuff. So, I like the fact that you're yeah. willing to accept the fact that you screwed it up for yourself. You know what I mean? Like yeah, with the hard. American Idol. That's why when when Ryan said I he was shaking in his shoes. He was like, I can't believe I'm doing. It. I said, Don't fuck it up, man. Just be professional <laughs> and don't. If you want to be you want to be like Rick D's, be like Rick D's. Be a pro. Don't goof around, show up early, do your thing. And you know what? Yeah. It's, it, it isn't that hard, but, but when you're in their 30s or 20s or whatever and you work in Hollywood, there, it, you can screw up a lot. It's just the way it is. And that, that everybody had jobs. Like I remember working at the radio station with these guys at K-Rock because I was there when I was 20, and, mm-hmm. and they, were, they were all goofballs, you mm-hmm. know? And, yeah. and Rick Dees was – I worked with Rick Dees too. I did a – I did. I worked no on Solid Gold. No one knows Gold. who that is anymore. Well, he was a he was the number one like DJ in LA in Los Angeles. In and Los um, and I did a little skit with him because I used to use models and put them on television and stuff. And I ended up doing it because I couldn't find anybody that day. And I was so impressed with his with his professionalism when he was on the set. You know, he was on time. He was super yeah. good at his job. You know, he was a professional, but he was also young like us, and he wasn't. But all the guys I worked with at K-Rock were just <laughs> numb nuts. I mean, they were just goofballs, you know? They were always high. They were showing up late. Yeah. They, like, I did, I did, like, 90 shows with a poor man, and he was late to every single one of them. I was there early with, like, 10 girls in bikinis, and he'd come prancing in the door a half hour after the show was supposed to start. And I, you know, but... Ricky's there's an incentive had, to get oh, to work early. Oh, yeah. it's when 
involved. Come on. Uh, we did a yep. we did a funny thing about Disco Duck. My girls worked with him too. But I it was just really yeah. funny because because when I saw Ryan, I was like, Ryan, you could, you just gotta take the ball and run with it, you know. And yeah. I but I've only because I knew that you know maybe I didn't know you, but maybe if I had given you that advice, it would have been helpful too. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I just think no. this was. I was my like past. the old I lady at that point. <laughs> Brian was busy there, there, with some. With cocaine and alcohol, and yeah, that things. was my and point. Some massive guilt and a, and a plan to self destruct. I was spinning some. <laughs> well, plates, I married man. a doctor. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's really what I hope people take away from this film: is everybody screws up, everybody makes yeah. mistakes. Every you know, yeah. some not as big as mine, yeah. but you know, everybody has their own cross yeah. to bear. Everybody has their own pain. And everybody's been low and maybe people can see this and be like, well, God, if that guy came out of it, what's my excuse? I just that, hope people are inspired 100%. by this. You know? Yep. They will be, Brian. I'm sure. But they're inspired by the conference. I'm looking at the comments uh, in my chat rooms and streams here. And then they're, they're impressed right now. They're, they're enjoying this oh, and they feel well, we've, lifted up. We've interviewed a lot of people over the years. We used to do a podcast called this life you live with Bob Forrest and drew. And we've heard this yeah. story a lot, you know, of how they've come out the other side but and it, it, nobody's immune to it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It might be your son. It might be your mm -hmm. daughter. It's mm -hmm. just, it's out there. So you have to know, you know, what the signs are. Yeah. And your mother probably tried everything to help you and couldn't do anything, you know? And, and you probably, when yeah. she died, you yeah, probably but, but, felt like but, she was finally. But my bet is from where you sit now and the adventure you're on presently, you don't, you don't have a lot of regrets, I'm imagining. I mean, I'm no, sure you have and beautiful let me, memories let, and things, but not a lot of regrets. Go ahead. Here's the thing. Once you make the determination that, okay, I don't know what you think, but I, I think there may be multiple realities happening. Maybe at the same time, we jump in and out. If you, if every possible outcome exists in an alternate reality somewhere in the multiverse, how can you experience regret? You're doing it somewhere else. You're just not aware of it. Everything that could happen, there's you're a, doing. There's a reality where I'm worth $450 million and you're talking to Seacrest right a, now. <laughs> There's a whole, there's a that whole helps me uh, get out of theory of physics. The, the many worlds hypothesis in physics is exactly that, that every time there's a quantum measurement, it. the world splits in two. All right, guys, I, right. we got to wrap this up right here. Brian, we, we could talk more. And I, if you have more to promote, let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more. And I can't wait to go see the, uh, the Amazon Prime special. Thank you, Brian. Really is there a website or anything it. else you, you like? Of course. A website or anything else you like to refer people to? BrianDunkelman.com, Brian Dunkelman on Twitter, at the Brian Dunkelman on Instagram, Brian Dunkelman TikTok, all the things. And I just, I really appreciate you having me on. I've been a fan for a long time and it's really cool to, to meet you and talk to you. Pleasure is ours. Hope we'll see more of you. Thanks, Brian. Take care. And for everyone else, uh, we're going to wrap this up. We got to actually go run, meet somebody. Are we going to be here tomorrow? We have no guest. I. We, you know, we, yeah, we tomorrow at 12, right? We had a guest tomorrow at 12, but we do not now have that guest. That's so, okay. It's but okay. We, we will probably be doing a 12 this time here. We're not going to do Monday. So, we're probably going to do some sort of call in show tomorrow. Yeah, just we callers. Take callers. So, uh, we will, I don't know what time though, because uh, I have to do the thing at 1230. Oh, oh, it was three o'clock our time. Hang on, let me here, look at the. Right? Look at I think that's what Caleb on. said. Okay. Caleb, are you still with me? Yes, uh, it's yes, tomorrow. Three, uh, yes, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow at three o'clock your time. Three hour time. So why that did the work. sound cut Let's out? Do, do you know? Uh, there's just a there's a, a weird delay that's happening between here and New York, and so you what you are seeing on uh -huh. your screen 
you're hearing everybody at the right time, but what you're seeing on your screen, Drew, is probably about between 10 seconds and it went all the way up to three minutes behind. Like whenever I put the wow, note on there that was crazy. saying multiverse yeah. theory, it was stayed on your yeah, screen yeah. for a long time yeah. and it didn't even appear. It <laughs> yeah. was like you were in a whole different conversation. It we, was the spirit of uh, Brian's mother. Brian's mom. And we also, we also <laughs> though, lost sound for a second. You know, you know what? what? I need to unplug the, the cam link and plug it back in again and just reset everything. Yeah. Do you know what that sound glitch was all of a sudden? Yeah, it's it was ghost. the same thing. It's okay. a ghost. <laughs> all right, guys, we, we got to run out. We thank you all so much for being here. We'll, about noon to uh, Pacific, 3 o'clock. We're going to go have dinner with our sober yes. daughter. Yes, that is the plan. And we're already late. So No, I, I changed the... the oh, okay, you're okay. You don't okay, have great. to hurry. All right, so I won't hurry, but I will say farewell. See you tomorrow midday. Oh. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 